Well, good morning. I hope that everyone has had a good Christmas. Merry Christmas to you all. I know that we have a number of people who are away and traveling, and there's also a handful of people who are here, including a number of people from my family filling up almost a whole row. So glad to have you guys here, and um, glad to have everyone here. Merry Christmas. And yes, it is still Christmas. As we mentioned earlier in the service, today is the sixth day of Christmas. That wild and elaborate song, 12 Days of Christmas, is is a little crazy, but it's true. Christmas lasts for 12 days. The first day is December 25th, but it goes on for 12 days up through the end of this week. So my encouragement to you is to keep celebrating. Our culture spends December in the chaos, getting ready for Christmas, shopping, putting up decorations, and so on. And then once Christmas Day passes, we pack up, we take down the lights, and sort of move on into the gloominess of January. But as followers of Christ, and we've talked about this, we follow a different calendar. Christmas continues. So leave up your lights Let the music keep playing. It's not that you're too lazy to take them down. It's that we're still celebrating. So Christ has come, and the light of the world is with us now. And so we're still celebrating Christmas, but there's also another celebration coming up uh, this next week. It's the time of year that we all start talking about New Year's resolutions. I don't know if you've had any of those on your mind. I wonder what it is exactly that we mean when we say New Year's resolutions. Because it seems like basically it's just a fancy way of saying new goals that we want to do this next year. For a lot of people, maybe it's to lose weight, to save money, uh, read more books, so on and so forth. But that's not really what the word resolution means. Just think about it. Resolution is something that is all-encompassing. It's not so much about making goals as it is about becoming whole. Where else do we encounter the word resolution? Think of maybe a narrative arc, right? If, if you learned about this back in English class back in the day or something, any good story has at least five parts to it. That first part is the part where you first meet all the characters and you get to know where they are, the setting, and then that first conflict comes into play. And that conflict launches you into the second part, which is called the rising action, where the tension builds and and everything begins to, to come up to a head, and then you finally reach the climax, the third part, uh, where everything twists and changes. That's the hinge of the whole story. Uh, and after the climax, you have the falling action, where the story begins to move toward its end, And the final and fifth part of a story is called what? The resolution. It's where the the characters are transformed. It's where the conflicts are resolved. So this is one way that we think of resolution. Or another way for musical folks, uh, you might be familiar whenever we sing songs and we end with that that long amen. Uh, That is, musically, a resolution. If we didn't get to the last note of that song, the song wouldn't feel finished. Just like if we don't get to the resolution of a narrative, the story doesn't feel finished. 
So we talk about New Year's resolutions, but really resolution is less about starting something new and more about finishing something well. It's about characters who were at odds with one another, notes that were out of tune with one another, and all of these come together in a new way. And I think if we look at the world around us, we see a desperate need, not for New Year's resolutions, but for true resolution. There's economics and race and gender. Our world is chopped up into rich and poor, us and them, male and female, young and old, and each group is often at odds with the other. But I think that we find a great deal of hope in our text today. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2. And over this past month, we've been in this series called Songs of the Season. We started several weeks ago in the prophet Isaiah, thinking of, of the songs of the prophets. And then over the past few weeks, we've been looking at all these songs that pop up in the first couple chapters of Luke. Mary sang after she was visited by an angel. Zechariah sang after the birth of his son. A whole chorus of angels sang after the birth of Jesus. And today we see the fourth and the final song in this section of Luke. And it's sung by a man named Simeon. And it's a song about finishing well, about finding resolution. So let's pick up right where we left off last week after the birth of Jesus. Luke 2, beginning in verse 21. After eight days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child. And he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. And she never left the temple, 
but worshiped there with fasting and prayer night and day. And at that moment, she came and began to praise God, to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for this story and these songs that we sing, that we rest in, that we meditate on. God, as we consider your word today, I pray that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So after we began this whole thing with the songs of the prophets, aching and longing for the coming of the Messiah, today we meet two prophet figures who find that longing met in Jesus, who comes to the temple and Simeon sings a song. And his song is a song of resolution. He says, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace. And so at the arrival of Jesus, Simeon has arrived at the end of his own life, his purpose fulfilled. He has found his resolve. So he sings about this resolution, and he sings of a coming peace. But Simeon is not the only one who finds resolution in this passage. His song stands at the center of it, but all around, I believe there are little hints of resolution all over. Little notes that had been out of key, shifting into their proper place to make a harmony. So I want to walk through this scene again and follow Jesus and his family and look at some of the resolutions that are found along the way. Because it says that Jesus' parents brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And so they made their journey to and through the temple. And the temple itself is not just a single structure. It's like a series of concentric circles or squares. It's made of a a bunch of different courts. And each court that you would enter into had almost different permissions, so to speak, different people who were allowed there or not. So on the outermost part of the temple, there were a series of shops, money changers and sellers, where people could purchase animals and other things for the sacrifices that they were making in the temple. And then inside the temple mount, there's this court of the Gentiles. And that's where non-Jewish God-fearers would come to worship God. And then journeying beyond the court of the Gentiles, you would eventually enter what's called the court of women, which is where Jewish women could gather and worship. And then beyond that court, you have the main temple structure, and at its very center, you find the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could venture on high and holy days. And I think that this pathway through these many courts is essentially the route that the infant Jesus and his parents would have made for Mary's purification and for Jesus' presentation. 
And so in each location, I think they, they find this hint of resolution, this, this hint of resolve. So the first is the resolution, I believe, of inequity. And, and they find this in those outer courts, that outer layers. They're going through the money changers. So you may remember this, this theme of inequity coming up a few times over the past few weeks. Several weeks ago, we read in Isaiah that the Messiah would come to bring justice and equity upon the earth. And then we heard Mary sing of the powerful being brought down and the lowly being lifted up, of the poor being filled and the rich being turned away empty. And we get a small glimpse of that equity here. So the first place Jesus' parents would have passed through, as I mentioned, is that outer layer of shops where you could purchase what you need for your sacrifice. In verse 24, it says they came to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law. Now, this is a reference to Leviticus 12, which gives these instructions for what to do after the birth of a child. And I think what's noteworthy about Leviticus 12 is that it actually gives two different options. One of them is to offer a lamb for a burnt offering. But the other is, it it says, if she cannot afford a sheep, she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons. Now, which of these did Jesus' parents offer? It was the two turtle doves and the pigeons. That's what it said in what we just read. And what this shows us is that when God came to dwell on the earth, it was not among riches and wealth, but rather he was born into a family that could not even afford a lamb for the offering. When his parents came to the temple, they couldn't afford the lamb. And yet, I don't know that they were aware that they were actually carrying the lamb with them. They didn't know that they had brought the lamb with them, the lamb who would be offered up for all people. You see, Jesus came not to dwell with the wealthy or to become rich, but rather to bring justice and equity upon the earth. And that's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. I think it's very likely that the very table where Jesus' parents purchased the doves and the pigeons for this sacrifice could have been one of the very same tables that Jesus would later overturn. Jesus comes to do away with economic barriers. At the coming of Christ, the rich find humility The poor find dignity, and inequity begins to find its resolve. So after getting the birds for their sacrifice, Jesus' parents would have made their way a little bit farther in through the court of the Gentiles. And I think this might just be where they come across Simeon, and it hints at a second resolution, the resolution of identity. There have been echoes of this also, all along the way. If you remember back to the beginning of the month, Isaiah spoke of the wolf dwelling with the lamb, of 
the calf and the lion dwelling together, and so on and so forth. He looks to a day when there will not be wild and tame, but rather a whole animal kingdom dwelling together in peace. And so when Mary and Zechariah sang, they both mentioned the coming of God's salvation to the descendants of Abraham. But when the angels appear, and we read this last week, they make a much more radical claim. The angel says, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all people. And this radical claim lies right at the heart of the song that Simeon sings here. In verse 30, he says, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. It is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So just imagine what it would be like for Simeon to sing these words amidst the court of the Gentiles. What wonder and hope these words might hold. Simeon himself may have even been a God-fearing Gentile. The text doesn't tell us. But what we do know is that he sings that this salvation of God has been prepared in the presence of all peoples, for both the Gentiles and the people of Israel. So Isaiah prophesied of a day when there would no longer be wild and tame. And Jesus comes to bring about a day when there will no longer be us and them. When there will no longer be divided by our competing identities. The baby who Simeon sees here and sings of is the one who would grow up to visit with a Samaritan woman at the well. The one who would heal a Roman centurion's daughter. The one who would call both zealots and tax collectors to follow him. These are people who both work for the government and want to overthrow the government. And he calls all of them to him. When Jesus came, he no longer distinguished people for their race or for their culture or even for their own religious sect, but he called them all to him. And he offered himself for them. In Ephesians 2 Paul writes, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by his blood, for he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one, and he has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility that is between us. Jesus came to tear down the wall that separated the court of the Gentiles from the rest of the temple. And at the cross, he took on violence handed out both by Jewish leaders and by Roman officials so that we might no longer be violent toward one another amidst our differences. At the foot of his cross, both Jew and Gentile stand on level ground and these competing identities begin to find their resolve. And so after their encounter with Simeon, potentially as they're passing through the court of the Gentiles, the next place Jesus' parents would have made their way through is the court of women. And the next person they encounter is a woman named Anna. She's a prophet. She's been devoted at least 80 years to living and worshiping and serving in the temple 
And now there's no recorded interaction between Anna and Jesus' parents. But in verse 38, it says, At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So at the very moment that Jesus' parents are bringing him to the temple, Anna begins to praise and to prophesy. And she becomes one of the very first people to preach the coming of Christ. You see, I believe that Christ came not only to break down the dividing wall that separated Jews and Gentiles, but also the wall that separated men and women. The preachers of his gospel are not only men, but are also women. After his birth, it is this woman's voice who proclaims him from the temple. And after his resurrection, it is women's voices who proclaim him from the tomb. Everyone proclaims Christ's coming and Christ's resurrection. He came to bring salvation to all people, and that salvation is preached and proclaimed by all people. At the coming of Christ, who was born of a woman and lived as a man, male and female begin to find their resolve. And there's, I think, another resolution that we begin to see between these interactions of Simeon and Anna, because they show us that Christ comes to bring resolution between Jew and Gentile, between women and men, but also, I think, between young and old. Nothing is said necessarily or specifically of Simeon's age, but he seems to be arriving at an end when he sings. And yet he takes this young child in his arms, and he speaks a blessing both to Christ and to Christ's parents. And Anna, it does say, is well along in years, and yet she musters up the energy to praise God and proclaim this Christ child. And think of the rest of the story here in Luke. God has moved to bring life through both the elderly, barren Elizabeth, as well as the young virgin Mary. God moves through both the birth of babies and the blessing of elders. Here we see that the salvation of God is not limited only to young and upcoming or to old and the wise, Rather, God moves in the meeting of generations, from generation to generation. It's the way of God to move in this kind of blessing from one generation to the next. And so at the coming of Christ, the elderly praise God, the young grow up in strength, wisdom, and favor, and generations begin to find their resolve. So how do we respond to all of these stories of resolution? As we journey with Jesus' family through the temple, which court is it that you find yourself in? Where do you fall within the resolution of the rich and the poor, of Jew and Gentile, of male and female, of young and old? How might you move further toward the resolution that God is beginning to do here in this story. 
Perhaps if you find yourself in the outer courts where the merchants are, if you are rich, then the call is to share your wealth with others in generosity. Or if you're poor, then it's to share your need with others in humility. God desires that neither rich nor poor would be alone in their wealth or their need, but that they would find resolution in community together. As we enter the courts of the Gentiles, maybe that's where you find yourself. We have to consider the divide between us and them, between culture and race. I wonder how we might consider moving toward those who are different from us. How might we learn from people of a different color or a different culture than our own? God's salvation is meant to bring resolution to all people. As we enter into the courts of the women, we have to consider the divide between women and men. How might we bring healing where there has been so much pain? Whether it's finding your voice or learning to listen, May we all be blessed to find the words of salvation on our lips and in our ears. And then as we consider Simeon and Anna, we have to consider the divide between young and old. I wonder who it is that you might be called to reach out to. For those who are young, who might you look up to and learn from? And for those who are older, who might you reach out to and offer a blessing toward? The young need to know that they're not alone. And the old need to know that God is not finished working through you. And so any one of these things that we're talking about might make an excellent New Year's resolution. But remember, resolution is not about starting something new but about finishing something well. It's not about making goals, but rather becoming whole. And I think this is what we learn from Simeon's song. As we look back at it one more time, he sings, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And I want to ask, what is it that Simeon saw that caused him to sing these words? Or rather, who is it that Simeon saw that caused him to sing these words? It was Jesus. You see, salvation is not a goal to set or a box to check. Salvation is a person. Simeon laid his eyes on Jesus. And he burst into song, my eyes have seen salvation. So as we go from this place today, as we come to the end of this year and venture into the next, my prayer is that we would find our resolution in Jesus Christ, of whom Paul wrote in Christ Jesus, you all are children of God through faith, 
As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with him. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. In him we find our resolve. May it be so. Amen.